Hey everybody, welcome to episode 64 of Tactical Crouch. We're a competitive Overwatch podcast, and I'm Kick Tripod, joined of course by Yiska and Volamel. Good to see you guys, looking good. Nice little, wow, that was a coordinated salute. That was amazing. Audio listeners, you don't know what you're missing. We do have a guest on the episode uh, though this week, and of course uh, we want to jump right into that. Head coach for the Atlanta Reign, and my personal hero. Uh, Brad, Sefi, Rajani, welcome Stop. to the show, uh, Sefi. <laughs> no way you day. just said that. I did. I no mean, so just... when, when it comes, yeah. So there is an aspect, and I've said this. I used to do like a, like a casual Overwatch podcast before I got really into Overwatch esports, and a big part of it, we were oh every week we were talking about selfless gaming, and uh, like way back in the day, and I oh, was really? just like, yeah, and I was just like. Brad Rajani, like he gets it, like selfless Brad, like that's that's the dude. He keeps building these great rosters. I'm all about it, and, and I was really excited. I'll, I'm going to pull the click because I, I think that you don't believe me, but uh, <laughs> I, <I'm, laughs> he definitely. He I'm, does, just, I, I'm just skeptical of like, how much you're hyping it up. I, I, I'm not. I, I probably am guilty of overhyping. This is not one of those moments. But really happy to have you on the show, and. Uh, Thanks for dealing with my like my scuffed room. I wish I had my nice like studio ready instead of like just cables everywhere, except under my desk, by the way. Um, yeah. uh, nah, it's all good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Nice. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we've got we've got really great questions and stuff lined up. Uh, we're gonna do the housekeeping really quick, and then we're gonna just jump uh, right in. First and foremost, our show is supported completely by our patrons and our subs and. Uh, that's it. So if you like the show, subscribe right here, twitch.tv slash kick tripod or go to patreon.com slash tactical crouch. It's a great way to support the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, just like right now, 11 a.m. Pacific t- Pacific time, we record the show live at twitch.tv slash kick tripod. Last but not least, uh, you can find it everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. So iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, it's everywhere. If you can't find it, you are dumb. Sorry. Well, <laughs> now, come on. Come on. Now. I mean, I'm just we saying, you. if you can't find it, try a little bit harder. How can though, you, you know? how can you not find it? There's just no way you can't find it. <laughs> Thanks for being here though. Let's uh, jump into uh, Yiska. Yiska, I'm going to let you just like, I feel like you're a bull. Did I give a, you the sticky I, eye? I feel like you're a bull. <laughs> I think you feel like you're bull in a cage right now. I just need to let you loose and get started. No, 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 I'm good. Are you sure? Yeah. You're good. You have nothing to say. No, my, my, I have definitely a resting face that doesn't let you think, um, we're good, but I'm good. I think they just got to him. You just got blink twice if you need yeah. help. That's, that's the thing. I need, don't need to blink. It's so ready. <laughs> I'm staring into the void <laughs> intently. No, oh, all right. Man. All right. Good. All right. <laughs> Joe, you good, man? So you got oh, some yeah, coffee I'm, in there. I'm good. Yeah, got some coffee. Hydrating. Um ready to ready to to chat with Brad and, and see, you know, what what what's coming on the horizon for 2020 cuz it's uh you know, I I've talked about this on other shows that this is kind of like the we're we're finally like releasing the overwatch league like this is what it's supposed to be this is what we were kind of promised after like two seasons of basically beta testing mm-hmm. um we're here this is this is this is what we were promised and uh we, we've got a head coach on to kind of talk about the the internals of uh 
what it looks like from the uh, the trenches. So I'm I'm jazzed to to see what what he has to say. And honestly, with a lineup that okay, that now it's my time to to kind of cozy <laughs> up. But like, I don't do that if that's not in the roster. Um, that definitely like should be considered a top five team. I think I, I will have them in in my final power rankings just based on the um, final season standings, of course, of last season. And then that has to factor into your uh, into your reasoning. But also, the pickups have been great. I think personally, and arguably like while i thought for instance that a uh, team like soul would have chances to be above that i don't think they made the moves and for instance atlanta excites me way more now than soul does interesting that's that's weird coming from you know the the profit fanboy himself yeah gotta hire i, some I feel like i feel them. like a team that signs profit is immediately <laughs> just like a, a plus five on the power rankings for mm -hmm. you but Apparently not. I mean, this is probably a perfect segue then. Uh, Brad, I mean, you, the Atlanta Reign have had, had a pretty, like, expectation-shattering 2019. If you, if you, At least if you went by, like, how uh, people kind of rated the Atlanta Reign. Yeah, we had, like, the highest deviation from our preseason power rankings. Mm. Pretty yeah. much most everyone, I don't know, maybe there's a few teams that didn't want like Chengdu or something, right? But like we were definitely the one, one that exceeded it by a lot. Yeah. yeah for yeah, I think it was you and Hangzhou. Uh, yeah, Hangzhou were pretty close. Um, right. So like, I have to ask you first, like, do you, do you have a reason? Like, do you have a, a an idea in your head of like why you were just so underrated in, in 2019? Because it, it seems like a pretty big miss. It seems obvious always in hindsight though, right? Um, well, I think across the board, the public tends to, um, overrate veteran players. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah. of course the Atlanta rain has zero like overwatch, vet overwatch league veterans from season one. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. was there a single player on our team that played in season one? The only baby one that I can think bay. of is baby bay, but baby he bay. came later on, but he came later. Right. Yeah. So starting, starting off in the season, we basically had a bunch of newbies in there, right. From contenders. Mm -hmm. And then Defran, whose experience was like, you know, pre overwatch league. Right. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we just didn't have those season one names on the team. And I think across the board, people just tend to rate veteran players very, very highly, you know, mm -hmm. and you'll see it this season too, you know? Um, but, yeah, I think that was the biggest reason. It's just people sleep on contenders players, you know? A lot of these 17-year-olds that become 18-year-olds, they're very good at the game, you know? And, um, you know, we we knew that going in, you know? And when we were scouting our players, you know, Pogpo, Daco, and Erster were the first three players that we picked up. You know, we, we picked them up in one fell swoop, and um, they had all just turned 18. You know, like, mm. this was the first season they were even eligible to play, so... Yeah, we just, um, I just think it's a big case of that for the most part. What about, yeah, to, uh, I mean, you, sorry, go ahead, Yeska. Yeah, go to, ahead. to be fair, like, the, I don't think that was the underrated part of your roster, right? It was more like questions about the backline, even though when, if people t paid attention to Masa, I think that was mm. definitely a person that um, was going to be up there. Um, I think the other positions also, like, it's just, I think uh, one thing that also played in a lot of people's minds was like the Defran uh, signing yeah. and the necessity for him to pop off, I suppose. But then again, like you kind of have to always evaluate how 
willing organizations are to make mid-season changes, changes and also their ability to make them. And with, you know, you being a, um, a new franchise, there was really no precedent to know. Do they have the funds? Do they have the willingness? Do they have the ability to, you know, um, make quick decisions based on that? And I think that my thinking definitely was too much focused on um, like the Fran working out. And even though he kind of did for the beginning and then um, retired, uh, it didn't seem to matter that much. Yeah, a lot of it. I, I would agree with that. I think a lot of it was around the idea that maybe Atlanta's trying from the outset to build around him and it looks like that wasn't the case and it very obviously wasn't now that we can no, see yeah, that no, he was he was the last person added to the team uh, mm. at the very end um you know we started we started really with our tank line um is the first place we started mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, and then the supports and dps came later but kind of, good yeah, yeah i mean not 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 in terms of the actual like in terms of the actual signings right like i said the first two people signed were, were poke poe and and Erster all at the same time, right? Mm. Um, and 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 as a new org and as, as a Western org with Western coaching staff, yeah, um, scoring true. three Korean players, including you know basically kind of superstar names that had multiple offers and getting them to come to Atlanta, it was it was not easy to pull off, you know. Um, mm. But um, the ownership of the Atlanta Reign was um, really, you know, I don't think any other ownership group could have done what we did you know like like erster i think erster had something like five offers you know mm -hmm. um when he accepted ours um and part of that was making sure that we got pokepo and daco on board as well right because he wanted to be able to come with people that he knew that he had played with right like in korean contenders i mean he didn't play in korean contenders but he he's in korea you know what i mean he yeah he played in korea he knew these players they knew him right they were friends so um you know you kind of had to like make a an aggressive move there and you know the ownership of the Atlanta Rain really stepped up uh, in that moment and it basically gave us the foundation to build a strong roster around that and then you know the touch back on what Yusuke was saying is he you know he thought Seoul would get all the star talent you know what I mean all the star Korean talent coming into the season it's true that a lot of players wanted to base out of Seoul, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the number one consideration that every player goes through when they're thinking about what team they want to sign to, other than having like a, a fair paycheck, right, is who am I going to be playing with? Mm -hmm. They want to have confidence in the teammates that they're signing up to play with. So you ask any player when they're looking to sign to your roster, the very first question they ask or the biggest question on their mind is always, who are my teammates going to be? What can you tell me about the roster that you're building, right? Because they have their own opinions about who they think is good and bad. Um, and they want to make sure that they're playing with players that they respect. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you, you know, so like, you know, we made some off-season acquisitions on Atlanta, but because we had a good season one or a good season two, our good first season in season two, right? Um mm -hmm we sort of had some credibility and then we went over there with our contenders team and we popped off in the gauntlet that gave us even more credibility. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, players like Edison, like sharp, look at our team and they say, wow, yeah, these guys actually know what they're doing. And these players are actually good. If I join that team, 
I won't have to travel 12 hours on a plane in order to go get spawn camped in some foreign country and come home sure. to Jack. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not going to be like yeah. that. It's going to be way more fun and way more enjoyable than that. I'm going to actually come into the league and, and maybe win, you know? So mm. that's a big part of their thought process, you know? Mm. Nobody wants to travel 12 hours to get spawn camped. Nobody wants <laughs> no. to do I can't yeah. imagine that being a uh, a career highlight for anybody, especially, you know, after you're waiting this long to to kind of get into the, the thick of things. So, yeah, that's got to be be pretty rough. Speaking of travel, like and that's that's one thing that I'm very interested in, because I feel like like I've talked to people and at some point there was this this concept that I saw come from multiple people where I thought, okay, someone must have communicated that via email because a phrase like that doesn't stick that often that people use it. And it was mean and lean. Basically, like, um, referring to the, the roster size and especially the entourage you're traveling with. So is this... Are you, are you going to take everyone with you on the road? Like, all, the entire to coaching staff and like all the players all the time. Have you figured that out yet? Um, yeah, uh, to a certain extent, like we haven't figured it out all the way, mm. but, uh, I don't, I don't think it's, it's really, if, if you have a 12 man roster, right. Um, I don't think it's like, it's entirely like, I don't think it's like totally responsible to take the entire 12 man roster on the mm -hmm. road. If you can avoid it. Um, yeah. A, it's traveling every single week, which would burn out people. And, you know, if it burns out the starters doing that, imagine what it would do to your bench players. You know what I mean? That mm -hmm. are used to sitting mm -hmm. at home on their computer and not traveling every weekend. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? So um, I don't even think that they would enjoy it, you know, that mm -hmm. they would want to. They might want to go to a few, you know what I mean? If they're on the bench, um, you know, maybe a, a big hype event or like a really cool place that they wanted to go, right? Right. But mm -hmm. they wouldn't want to go to every single one. They'd rather keep honing their game instead, right? Staying back and, and working on their skills, not traveling. So um, they want a gun for that starting spot, you know? So no, I don't think we'll take the entire team on the road for every single homestand. There may be a few homestands where we do take the entire team um, just to, to make everybody, uh, know that they're that they're part of the team and included and we'll probably pick the coolest one and take the whole team right but it won't be every single one no way yeah mm -hmm. it's got to be a balance yeah. right because like it's it's really easy to be totally. like the combination of like how can i improve as a player how can i find that spot and how can i make the atlanta rain franchise better at the same time be like but how can i be involved and how can i be there <laughs> in case like something goes wrong and i need to play or whatever and i think that's i think a lot of people are holding on to the uh, well, what if what somebody gets six? What if somebody dies sure. in, in a Vespa scooter crash or whatever it ends up being? Um, yeah, I mean, so so there's a couple of technical reasons too, and there's a couple of technical details. So number one, if somebody gets sick, if you know far enough in advance, like let's say they get sick like on the plane ride over, and you know right away, you could on an emergency basis, right, scramble a plane ticket for the backup and try to get them out there in time, right? Um, but there's also the fact that and Basically, there's like minimum requirements um, that the teams have to provide like, uh, you know, practice facilities, right, mm -hmm. uh, in each city. And those those requirements don't really accommodate like 15 computers, right? Mm -hmm. Enough sure, for yeah. all players plus staff. Um, mm -hmm. So you'll have to have people bringing laptops and you'll, you know, like 
they can only do so much, right? A host team can only accommodate a team visiting, you know, to a certain extent. You mm-hmm. know, can they, can they really provide for like two full rosters, right, um, to get playtime? If they can't, and if people are just kind of tagging along but not actually having a computer to sit down and play at, you know, one of the benefits of having like a twelve-man roster or a deep roster is the idea that you could schedule like an internal scrim, right? Maybe for the warm-up, and with unpredictable schedules and different time zones and things like that, um, you know. Can you really, if you if you just take like your 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 main team and you try to get like a warm up scrim on a match day or something like that, can you really find a scrim partner if it's a weird time zone and there's not a lot of teams or the teams that are in that time zone they're all at the event with you? You know what I mean? Like, sure. there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether you'll get that warm up scrim or not. So having like your your bench players back at home at their PCs ready to warm you up and maybe mimic the style of the opponent or something like that, you know, like, you know, pull out the strategies that you think your opponent's going to play that day. Mm-hmm. Being able to do that, have them at their PCs, it's, it's kind of like a tactical advantage, I guess you could say. Yeah. Interesting thing about you guys was, and I felt like that was pretty obvious, but um, overall, like we're having this discussion about currently, like what what is the value of contenders and what's really the value for academy teams when there's no, like you're not making money off the academy team because you're not making back the the salaries of the rosters and whatnot. And but you guys seem to have such a strong tie between your academy team, then also incorporating even some players in in the, as much as the Overwatch League playoffs. Um, you've like I had the feeling you were also pretty involved with them, especially like uh, at Gauntlet. Um, is there like, and by the way, there's there's also a cool rule change I think that where you are now allowed to have four two way players. I think like, next season, mm. um, like I guess twofold questions. Do you think that interaction between your main team and the academy team will be possible on the road and also the other one do you do you see the possibility that there is once again this you know like just sending uh, players down to the academy team where they're not really necessarily decaying in skill if we're being honest but um just playing uh, staying warm and then also because sometimes continuous teams are ahead of patch or whatnot um just like in shape for the occurring meta It's a uh, it's a really difficult question, um, and there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff in what you just said. Mm. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to unpack it piece. But I guess number one, just starting off with like the value of academy. Um, so for us, um, our academy team obviously performed the best out of all the Western teams. Um, this last academy season, right? Like we took second yeah. place at the gauntlet, you know, um, I was there uh, with the team. Yes, I was involved. Definitely. Um, very involved with the academy team. Um, it's very top heavy, the success of the contenders teams, basically. Like if you are one of the top three teams in Korea or like the number one team from the West, then Overwatch League teams will hit you up and, you know, look to um, get your talented players onto their roster in the following season, right? So mm-hmm. for us, like three or four of our guys had offers. Some of them had multiple offers, right? Um, and, um, you know, like it's it really worked out for them, um, for the ones that are of age, right? The ones mm-hmm. that are not old enough yet, you know, unfortunately they're losing, you know, most of their teammates and we have to fully rebuild, right? Mm. Um, and that's, that's not going to be easy, but we're working through it. Um, 
but the success is very top heavy. If you are a team that that wasn't in say the top four teams in the world, something like that, um, you look at contenders as basically like, what was what did we make that investment for? What did we really get out of that? Right? Like it's a it's it's if it was just to like develop players and get them into the league or develop players and sell them into the league, a few teams still had success there, right? Like Fusion Uni would promoted two players. Mm. Feels like it was more, I think. Promoted? Yeah, yeah. They promoted and then sold some, right? They sold some too, right? So yeah. like like yeah, a lot of and, and that's based on their success that they had because they were one of the more successful teams, except mm -hmm. for this last season, right? Like before mm -hmm. that, they had a great run, right? Great reputation, right? Those players were hyped for a long mm -hmm. time. So um but yeah, it's it's just there's only a few teams that actually manage to promote players into the league and then a lot of a lot of teams don't. Um or they do, but you know, some of that hasn't worked out so well. I, I think what a lot of Mayhem Academy players, right, got sure. into the league, yeah. and you know they haven't popped off yet. Yeah, they're working on it, but mm. history. Me not too. Fully Me too. Yet. By the way, yeah. still working on popping off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would think, for instance, um, one thing that's very interesting to me is because you said it's so top heavy, like a, t a team like Uprising Academy still has a surprising amount of. Um, promotions yeah, and you're not uh, wrong. Plays yeah, yeah, yeah. Battle, right? Yeah, that's true. You're not wrong at all. Um, and I think, uh, I think even this upcoming season, Uprising Academy still is looking like a like a decent team. You mm -hmm. know, like I think, I think their system is working. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, there there are there are a few cases of teams getting value, and then there's a lot of cases of teams not getting value. I guess. Mm -hmm. But overall, like in general there continues to be pretty good turnover in the league so there's opportunities for contenders players to promote in not as many probably as you would like to see but at the same time there's only so many roster spots in the world you know we we can't promote we're, we're dropping out a little bit here on the on the audio uh sorry about that guys um Brad we still have you maybe not we, we might have lost Brad yeah so like what he's saying uh, is the next three signings <laughs> are <laughs> no, <laughs> no I'm just kidding uh what yeah. happens yeah no, I mean he'll be back he'll be back yeah I mean, that, that's why we're not even doing video because we're not so sure about the the internet quality. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, we're gonna... I mean, he he brings some some uh, he he breathes a a fresh life into the the, the conversation around tier two because it's it is a little dismal, right? It's it's a little well, sad. What I want to ask him, yeah, what I want to yeah. ask him is when he comes back is like, do you see some like, is is the chipsa movement? Um, concerning to him as he's talking mm. about, you know, look at this this guy who has created so many great Western rosters and talks about the importance of tier two and tier three. Like, do you ever dip from other wells, and is that like healthy for the scene? So, yeah, that's that's also my concern is that like there are ways to derive value that are monetary sure. directly monetary, such as um. Like the way Atlanta acted in mm -hmm. the sense that they heavily utilized them as scrim partners and um, 
just like integrated them into the system, right? Much more seamlessly than you, than you could with even an affiliated team, right? Next season. So um, the, that, that, that is a question, but it's also like, why does it necessarily have to be monetarily, uh, financially good, right? Like my, in my understanding, we made decisions for contenders Mm -hmm. that would help Overwatch League first and foremost in terms of sponsoring, in terms sure. of like exposure. And that's fine if we have more money in the entire scene because of those decisions. But then you take that money that you made more instead of having a full circuit for contenders especially, and then you support uh, tier two that way, right? Mm -hmm. There are other things for uh, that are prohibitive. By the way, that's a topic i don't want to speak too much on because that's a thing that's probably coming out tomorrow um that need to be amended in order to for uh contenders to more seamlessly work and to make sense and to mm. not actually hold careers back um and uh i'll have a talk about that i have a pretty dope interview uh about that with bench and uh who you know as an agent has had first uh first row seats to that spectacle mm. and um yeah other than that like i i kind of want to see like i i had this idea for instance to have every player have a buyout and use the buyouts from teams or from non-sponsored teams mm -hmm. to uh help t2 in some way for instance right because the the uh, uh, I think we might uh, have Brad back. Hello? Can you guys hear me? We can yep. hear you. Yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's all you, good. You were talking no about your least favorite player in Overwatch. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? Yes, guy. Uh, the value of uh, contenders or academy teams. In, uh, yeah. So, I mean, in I, yeah, I think Yiska made a good point about Boston. Um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you actually, if you, I, I bet if you were to actually run the data, a fair, fair number of players are promoted. So maybe the bottom line is just do a good job for him. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean, they're, not everybody can win with the system, right? But, mm. um, you know, for us, we look at contenders as an opportunity to um, basically do a number of things. Number one, make sure that our scouting is comprehensive, okay? So um, if we're excited about a player, like there's lots of players that you can get excited about, right? You can just go and stream and you can watch them pop off, right? Mm -hmm. But then if you really want to get to know the player and know whether they're built for the league long-term, whether they have the mentality to be in the league and the Overwatch League is a pretty grueling place to be, you know? Um, one way to get to know that player, especially if they're young, you know, and not 18 yet, is to have them on your contenders team, mm -hmm. right? You get to learn, okay, this person's mechanically gifted, but are they a player that I want on the main team? You know, you get to learn about their mentality, you know, all the mental aspects of their game, their discipline, their work ethic, all that stuff. You get to learn about that in contenders. And then you get to decide in the off season, do I want to promote this player? Or, you know, am I already solid on that position? And do I want to let that player go somewhere else? But you basically have way more info. You have way more knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. you know, all the little things and that stuff can make a big difference later. Then the second thing you can look at the contenders team for is basically like a really strong internal practice partner. 
in order to mm -hmm. do that, you have to build a very strong team that can actually fight back against Overwatch mm -hmm. teams, right? But if you do manage to pull that off, being able to do the internal practices where you tell them, hey, you know, can you run this comp on this map? Because that's what we're expecting the other team to do. You know, can you do that for us and help us warm up more specifically, you know, for our upcoming opponent? So um, we got to use them for that as well. Yeah, that, that's that's an interesting thing, though, because you said like just to scout what or to get an idea of what the player is. But then the, the other fact, of course, also being competitive with your main team in some way. Is mm. that second part more of the reason for having Sugar Free on? Because, yes, I mean, in, right. It's like, it's, yes, absolutely. The, that's the main yeah. reason. Yeah, it's the main reason, you know, not because there's no chance that we by the time he's old enough, you know, it. it I don't know. I imagine, I actually imagine Sugar Free, it's hard to imagine what his future will look like. It's too unpredictable, right? Yeah. Um, so, but he enjoys playing the game. He's very mature for his age. He's a, like, he's a really, really good teammate, first of all. Mm -hmm. And then second of all, yeah, he just, he's one of those players you can put into the scrim and uh, the internal scrim. And it's not like he, he, he holds his own. So, you know, you, it's valuable. Like the scrim is valuable because everyone, you know, because it only takes really one or two like players to drag down a team. And so yeah. you really need to pay attention to every position on that team and flex DPS, projectile DPS. It's one of the hardest positions in the world to play. It's one of the hardest positions in the world to find talent. All of the highest, most of the highest paid players in the league are in the flex DPS position. The fact that Sugar Freeze, you know, 14, still um, Jeez. yeah that's you know. insane yeah. i didn't uh, yeah yeah it, it doesn't yeah. change the fact that he can that he can that he can frag out so yeah. yeah so i because we're on the like the the topic of the importance of contenders for teams this is something that was kind of uh something that was kind of recent this week this last week the philadelphia fusion uh signed chipsa and there's been a lot of debate about the validity. It, some people are saying it invalidates the contenders uh, model in the sense that, you know, hey, if you're just a big streamer and you're really good at one uh, or potentially really good at one hero, you can make it an Overwatch League team, too. Like, do you have any opinions on that? I mean, you had uh, Defran on your team for a while who I, I think mechanically has proven himself as an overwatch league caliber player for the most part. And, you know, can really contribute to the team, but also kind of came into light by being a, a larger streamer. Sure. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think Defran has Defran's hero pool was not insane, but it wasn't like, he wasn't a one trick by any means. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think he kind of proved Great that point. You know, by the way, in in the season, you know, just I don't think anyone expect was confident that he'd be able to play Zarya. I thought he played a pretty pretty fine Zarya. Um, mm -hmm. And um, you know, I I I I deal with tier two players all the time. I know how hard they're working to try to get in the league, and I know the sacrifices that they're making and tr to try to get into the league. That said. If Fusion wasn't going to fill that roster spot otherwise, you know, I don't think you yeah. can really fault them for their decision. You know, like yeah. if, if they if they weren't going to go out and pick up another player, if that was really their intention to not fill that position at all, except that if they found somebody 
like Chipsa, who um, has a stream and like all this other stuff. I think it's more forgivable, um, but I do think it hurts to see players like Leaf, like Visility, you know, um, get left on the sidelines because, you know, they showed, you know, they showed themselves to be capable on those heroes and more, you know. Mm. Um, so I, 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 I feel for them. I really do. I think Visility in particular, like yeah. how does this guy, you know, just barely miss the league every season? Yeah. It feels awful, you know. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I just, I know that players are working really hard for this. At the same time, um, I do think that there's, on the other end of things, you know, if you were to look at it from the perspective of the owners, they're not really here making money right now. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And um, everybody sort of has this, like, perspective of, like, you know, like, you know, those teams owe it to everyone to just, like, keep picking up players. You know what I mean? This person deserves to be yeah. in the league and that person mm -hmm. deserves to be in the league. Well, you know, people need to pay for that. There's housing, there's salaries, there's travel costs now. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. all sorts of financial considerations that go into it. Um, and you need to be a player that brings something to the table, either overwhelming skill, where you're like, you're like a clear starter, or showing the potential to get there. Um, and I guess they just, they just made their decision. You know, I don't, we're not really in a position to criticize it in the sense that we don't know exactly how confident they are and all sure. of their other players. If they're really looking at, I'd, I'm, I'd be surprised if, the, if Chipsa actually gets stage time. I'd be surprised. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe he will. I don't know. There's an offshoot chance that, you know, Doomfist is super, super important. But even then, like I, I question, I mean, you've you've worked with, you know, players like Carpe before. These are these are players that can pick up things on a dime and, and can be very, very successful with it. So I, I, I do wonder if if that would be the better solution, if if Chips is not only there for, you know, kind of dictating the news cycle, which they have, you know, we're still talking about it. So that's yeah. it's putting Philadelphia in the news. It's it's adding more return um is it good is it bad i don't know it, it we're talking about it i i do think there's one other important piece of the narrative which is that everyone kind of assumes that getting into the overwatch league is like a bench player is better than being in contenders That's, um yeah. but you know it's not easy being a bench player in the overwatch mm -hmm. league it's sure. not the it's not the most fulfilling existence if you don't get eventually stage time um sure. and so um if they've really brought him in as like a perma bench boy you know what i mean for the most part um mm. that's not really a, a a situation that a lot of players covet i don't think true true um, yeah. yeah it's also like to be fair there are absolutely academy slots and players that are on such low salary by the way, I don't know how that is even legal. From a German point of view, that would never be legal to be paid <laughs> 300 bucks a month and uh, for like 60 hours a week, but okay. Um, but um, just like that promotion of at least having 50,000 plus all the benefits that a lot of people frequently uh, miss, like especially if you're in an LA team, like having housing paid there almost doubles your salary with uh, health insurance and whatnot. So, um, yeah, like, I feel like for some, it's a big upgrade for others. Like they are very well paid, uh, or yeah, very well paid, uh, contenders players as well. Right. Yeah. I didn't really so. mean it so much in terms of the money. I just meant it more in the fact that mo for the most part, these players are competitive and driven. Yeah, they want to win. Play. 
they want to play. Want, they want to play on stream. They want to show yep. what they got. And yeah. um, oftentimes, if you're a bench player in an owl team, you never see the light of the day. You know, uh, you never get that stream time, that stage yeah. time. Um, and you know, I mean, that's a that's a reason why Kodak was excited to give up his Overwatch League contract in order to pop off at the gauntlet with our contenders team, right? It's And they haven't even qualified for gauntlet yet, but he just knew that they were good players and that if he played with them in a competition that they would do well. And that was really at, at its core, more important to him than anything else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess that's, that's a perfect segue to one of the more tough questions. I was also topical recently, of course, with um, your decision to let Enli go and the, yeah, his response to that, and I think for the most part, you already spoke on it um, in terms of like, and I've also had it uh, told to me from several other sources, you actually went uh, above and beyond just sending like um, footage to teams and whatnot. Like it, it, of course, there are two sides to every story, but the one thing that in your explanation, I thought or didn't see addressed was that um, like basically what the role of a bench player is. And then also one accusation, I suppose. So one thing that Elia didn't like was that he didn't get enough uh, or felt like he didn't get enough um, co uh, coach attention. So is that something that a bench player shouldn't expect? Or is that something that uh, people should take into account when being in the bench position? Just like, what, what do you expect your bench player to do? And do you think they should be getting attention, more attention? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, well, specifically as it relates to Enlair, um, and I think just in general, the off-season process, um, I think I think I dropped the ball on a little bit on communication, just in terms of um, keeping him in the loop about um, um, about every single move that we're making. Mm -hmm. It's a difficult thing because a lot of the things you're supposed to be doing are you're supposed to be tight-lipped about because yeah. if you speak of it too much, then the deals fall through because other parties get interested or um, the team that has control of the contract thinks okay they really want this person let's like ramp up the price you know what i mean like there's a lot of things that go into it right um the off season is like a very difficult process to navigate as far as like roster moves go because of contracts and rumors and um bidding wars and all that other kind of stuff right um i don't want to say that you know that said you know I think it's pretty, it's pretty much like, um, it's a pretty difficult, it's, it's, it's a pretty obvious thing that like, it's the job of the teams to constantly be looking to improve their roster. Mm -hmm. And if a team makes a decision that they think player X is better for their team, maybe not a better player, but better for their team than player Y for whatever reason, you know, mm -hmm that it's kind of their responsibility to go after that. And the rosters are open all season long. People get dropped and added to rosters all the time, all throughout the season, you know? And every player should sort of have an expectation that like, um, I'm always fighting for my spot. And I do think that 
in the same way that I didn't, you know, um, I maybe dropped the ball a little bit on communicating with Enlair. He also dropped the ball on communicating with me. Like, I don't, it's not like I were to, if I were to pull up my DMs, I'd see like DMs from Enlair, like, hey, can you tell me what my situation is? There's none of mm. that. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's really, it's more like everybody kind of just like hoped for the best. You know, he was focused on World Cup scrims. I was in Korea and a boot camp heading into the gauntlet and then the gauntlet itself. Different players on the team spread out in different directions to do their World Cup stuff. Like everybody kind of went their own way and started their own thing. And then in the meantime, we're slowly working on the roster. You know what I mean? And we yeah. get Edison and we're thinking, okay, it's going to be Edison and Enlair. And then an opportunity comes up to grab Sharp, who a player that we've had our eye on for a long time, but we just assumed, you know, we're not going to be able to get him because everybody else wants him too, you know, mm -hmm. including Dallas who holds his contract, right? But then we have an opportunity to get him. And so we make a decision, you know, and it happens fairly quickly and not a lot of time to communicate what's going on. And at this, and also I didn't want to, this was like really right as World Cup is coming up. And I didn't want to get inside his head and make him perform poorly on stage either. Sure. Over something that wasn't even certain because we didn't sign Sharp until after World Cup. So, you know, it's not like we signed him and then we sat on it for like a week and we didn't tell him. Like, I, we basically told him the moment it happened. And up until it happened, it was not a sure thing that it would ever happen. Mm. And even before mm. it happened, I started reaching out to those teams behind the scenes saying, hey, this is something that might happen. You know, um, can you keep Enler on your radar? You know what I mean? Um, in case it does happen. And I'll let you know in a few days whether that we, you know, and there won't be a buyout or anything like that. We're going to let him go. You know what I mean? Like you'll be able to get him for whatever, you know, with no buyout at all. It didn't work yeah. out. You know, he's not in the league. I think he got maybe like two trials, but he had to play on Russian ping. It's very difficult. It was late in the trial process. Like, it's a really, really shitty situation. And he's not the only player that went through this. Like, sure. Enlar's situation is actually not even the worst. Like, the worst situations are like the player, you know, like, think about like if you had a player on your roster, right? And you think that this player has like demand in the market, that other teams would want this player. So you don't want to but you are looking to to trade this player or you know bring another player into the position. You don't want to let the world know that you're thinking about that because you think that you can sell this player to another team. Yeah. I mean some of these off-season deals that happened were for like what hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Many hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Letting the world know that you're thinking of trading or looking to trade the player, right? can have huge financial consequences. You want to make the world think, no, we think this is the best player in the world and we want to keep him. If you want him, you better pay us a lot of money for that. So all of the incentives push in a way that sharing of information is like detrimental to the health of the, of, of the team, you know, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, getting money from selling players allows you to offer more money to the players you're bringing in to stay on the team. You know, everybody's happy. like, it's a whole system, right? It's a lot of moving parts. So, it's just very difficult. And I think having a perfect system in place, a perfectly um, crafted system in place is going to be very important for the following season. I hope they do something about it and make sure that, that like, basically you can have like a functioning market mm -hmm. while also protecting the players with, you know, timings and things like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I kind of want to ask what those, um, what some of those changes look, may look like, but I I want to just briefly ask that again, like because it felt like such a particular thing that also will be 
important for other bench players in the future. Do you think that Enlian rightly feels like he was not given enough attention on the bench, or is that just something that a bench player should expect? No, I mean, we, we gave him individual one-on-one -on -one coaching. We did one-on-one -on -one sessions with him. A lot of it was was during goats when we were having when he was competing with Erster for the for the for the brig. The golden spot. age, by the way, the yeah. golden age of Overwatch. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, we weren't happy with um, Enlar's performance on Zarya in particular. Um. So we we really had him focus on competing for the Brigida slot. Um. But Erster was just Erster, and he was really elegant on the hero. So, um. So Enlar lost out on that. Enlair was a starter for us in Stage 4. He started every single match as our May player in Stage 4. Um, mm -hmm. I think where he felt a little bit let down um, was heading into playoffs. Um, we had already seen some of his Reaper um, in scrims, and we were just more confident in Baby Bay, and we felt that we relied a lot on Baby Bay's communication as well. Um, you know, both Baby Bay and DeFran were basically strong communicators for the team. Um, if you know our players at all, you know, like Erster, for example, is like a very quiet player um, in the comms. So, you know, as far as having an Enlair is like in the middle um, and Baby Bay and DeFran are both very vocal and they sort of bend the team around their will. Right. So um, we kind of needed a little bit of that leadership. So we made kind of like a pretty quick decision that Baby Bay and Reaper was the play for us. Um, you know, we didn't like Baby Bay on May, so uh, and and that meta was like a little different. But when it came to goats and like sort of fast engages and calling rotations, we thought Baby Bay was like just like a key piece of the puzzle for us. So we didn't, and it was like a very short window, right, between the end of stage four and the beginning of the playoffs. Like how how quickly did that unfold? Like a week later, mm -hmm. a week and a half later. Yes. So we there wasn't like a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot of time to like test people out on Reaper and stuff like that. So. I think where Enlair felt a little bit let down towards the end of the season, because he had been the starter in stage four, and then he went from being a starter to being back on the bench. Um, it's just the fact that like we made a decision that we needed Baby Bay's communication to carry us through the playoffs. And um we didn't give Enlair like a really like a like a like a like a really thorough vetting on Reaper to see if he could compete for the Reaper spot. We made that decision within like a day or two, basically, of scrims. Mm. Um <laughs> Yeah, because if I remember correctly, you guys started a lot earlier on that patch. I mean, you you kind of came out publicly and, and talked about like, hey, like we're we're actually gonna you know take these couple matches and and practice for them as much as we can, but we're really focused on playoffs. Um, so so it sounds like that was made even before the decision to to focus on the PTR patch and and really iron out what you guys wanted to do for playoffs with that. Yeah, we weren't the only team that did that. I would say one hundred percent. Like half of the teams basically did that, and the only teams that didn't were the ones that. Um, their results we're were still in contention. Right. And so like all the teams that were like really guaranteed for the playoffs, like they, mm -hmm. they did that as well. Really what made it unique for us is the fact that we weren't guaranteed to be past the play-in tournament. And so we sure. took that risk, right? Um, yeah. But a lot of teams were, we had lots of scrim partners, you know, to play on sure. the new patch even, even a week before. Because uh, a lot of teams were just focused on the playoffs, yeah. 
kind of hope that people, you know, are a little bit more transparent with that in the future, because like it, it, you could kind of assume that, you know, people are looking forward like there's really no reason for them to um, try is a, is a strong word, but to invest so much practice time in, in the current patch when, you know, it doesn't necessarily it's not going to change the playoff structure for you. You might be able to fight for maybe a better seed, but it doesn't really you know affect your standing all that much to, to win or lose these last couple of games. It, you could assume that they are practicing for the PTR, but you guys came out and actually said like, hey, this is our plan. This is this is kind of our roadmap to the playoffs and we are taking this risk, but this is what we're doing. And I think uh, I, I genuinely think that people were, were pretty appreciative and it was kind of interesting to see, like, actually, without assumption, what 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 a team like Atlanta is doing. So I do think there's um, I do think that there is still like a lesson to be learned, though, here. Um, sure. Obviously, like, you know, internally, we can communicate more with our players and even give, you know, just swear them to secrecy but give them all every every thought process that we're going through right sure. hopefully there's just a better system in place next time around but i do think that just in general being a bench player on an overwatch league team is like a difficult proposition um because you as a coach you have to make decisions okay how do i allocate my coaching resources because there's only so much to go around do i try to improve the players on the bench do i try to improve the players on the starting roster um you know how much individual body review do we do with each one of them right the fact that bench players basically don't improve that much on their own personal skills by just by queuing up and ranked, which is what Endler had to do a decent amount of last season during stages one through three when he wasn't in the starting GOATs roster, right, was to mm -hmm. just queue up and ranked. Um, that's not the best practice in the world to develop your talent, right? Um, and so we're looking at this upcoming season, Atlanta, as um, basically we want to tackle the problem of being a bench player in the Overwatch League we did it a little bit last season with some of our players, the players that were lucky enough to be on our academy team, right? Mm -hmm. But for the players that weren't, basically Enlair and Fried, and then Daco, right? When Daco and Fried were like, like those three guys basically were not in the position where they were playing on our academy team, and they were just basically on the bench queuing ranked when they weren't in the starting lineup. And they were the ones who had their skills not developed the most, right? Because they weren't actively screaming every single day. Um, we're trying to do something about this, this upcoming season. We're actually basically filling out our roster. Like basically we looked at it and we said, okay, we have a 10 man roster. So we have a responsibility to the four guys that are not starting to make sure that their skills don't atrophy. You know, we've taken that responsibility upon ourselves. So then we doubled down on our investment. We were going even further. Now we're going to go to 12. So we are going to have a 12 man roster. Um, you know, and that's not public news, but that's, there you go. There's some juice, right? That and, an exclusive. <laughs> and in having that 12-man roster, our goal is to make sure that not only do we have an A-team, right, our starting lineup screaming on a regular basis, but that anyone who's not on the starting lineup for any given meta, that the other six players are basically also screaming all the time, almost as much as the main team, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to constantly push and develop their skills and compete and showcase themselves, A, to get on the starting lineup in whatever meta we're currently in, or if not do that, then when the meta shifts to something slightly more in that player's favor, that they're ready, that they're warmed up, that they've been improving this whole time. You know, So we're making a huge investment in the upcoming season to make sure that our bench players basically are, are some of the most developed bench players in the league. Mm. Um, but, you know... We couldn't quite do that as well last season. You know, we again, we did it sure. for the players that were on the academy team, you know, Gator and stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, this season we want to try to basically fulfill our promise to every single player, you know, with Endler, I guess, as, as a learning example, you know. Mm. 
kind of tangentially related, um, you know, towards the beginning of the show, we talked about, you know, travel and practice. And, and you mentioned that, you know, some of these teams are, are you know, are developing their 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 systems and their, um, you know, establishments that, you know, are going to have to be around ready for the time of the league. Um, now, kind of coming back to, you know, your announcement of the, the, the 12-man roster and whatnot. Um, how are you as a head coach really kind of or looking at practice in 2020 with all the travel and, you know, with a 12 man roster trying to facilitate as, as many people as you can. And it sounds like you're facilitating all of them and are at least trying to, um, what is that? What, what are some of the difficulties in, in planning that? Is this something that you're, you're really taking a serious look at? Is there anything that Atlanta is doing maybe differently than other teams in the league? Uh, could you speak on any of that? I mean, it's not easy because you have to travel every single weekend sure we are fortunate in the sense that most of our games happen in north america um we yeah. are one of the few <laughs> lucky teams that don't do a ton of international travel what that really effectively means for us is that after we finish a homestand weekend i think we are one of those teams that has the flexibility to basically go back home mm. that sunday right take the following monday off right and then practice again from like Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you know, hop a plane either Thursday night or Friday morning and get ready for the next homestand in whatever city, you know. Um, and because it's all sort of mostly domestic travel or, you know, North American travel, sure. um, this is all kind of doable, right? Mm. Um, but for the teams that are having to do lots of international travel, I actually question whether they can really do that. That seems like too much flying. Right. So what they might have to do is, at least in some, maybe not the entire season, but some portions of the season, they might basically need to go from like one city straight to the next city, right? Mm -hmm. And then basically have some sort of setup in that city where like they're practicing there, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and the, the host teams are providing some practice facilities, um, but if I were, you know, if I were, you know, in that specific situation of basically traveling internationally from city to city, getting my time, my guys as much computer time as possible in whatever city is like hugely important. Like these guys mm -hmm. are used to being on the computer 12 hours a day or more. Yep. And, you know, that's how they stay warm and stay fresh is always having access to a computer. Um, when they land in whatever city, there needs to be machines like ready to go for them, you know. And um, I think teams that drop the ball on that for whatever reason. I think those teams it'll showcase in poor performance on play on stage. Yeah. Especially like correct me if I'm wrong, but there were definitely homestands where certain players felt like they weren't quite as equipped and the amount of slots weren't enough. And I think uh like one thing that makes sense but it's also a little bit weird is that uh Blizzard schedules the scrims, right? Um um, they, they, they like, uh, so I heard about a little bit of that with contenders or something. I mean, um, in overwatch league, basically you get access to it, to a, a practice area for mm -hmm. certain time slots, basically. Sure. Um, but it's not like 24 seven access. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that just, that just makes it difficult. You know, this scrim time is great, but really after like after scrims are over these guys want to continue to play games right otherwise they get cold you know mm, yeah. just being able to sit down at the pc for like, like maybe on match day just the two hour is is fine right 
but like the other practice days of the week, right? The Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Imagine if Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, heading up to a homestand, right? Weekend, mm-hmm. that you only had four hours of computer access each day. Mm-hmm. You, you think that player is going to be looking like 100% on, on Saturday? Probably not. You know? right. So, as I, I mentioned, being a little that, stir crazy. That's the like, challenge. That's, yeah. I also think. If if this chair gate thing that we had last season where <laughs> players were really annoyed yeah. with the with the um the chairs, if that taught us anything, I think it's not like we're flying modules around. And from what I've heard, there's not like an ex- exact rule book how tall the tables have to be at every single uh, homestand venue or what the chairs will look like. Or like maybe there's definitely probably something, I would hope so. In terms of the PCs that are provided, and that also depends on the um, on the sponsor, I suppose. I, as far as I know, constant. that all the PCs are going to be, yeah, it's going to be this standardized across every market, and mm. uh, the PCs provided, even for the practice areas, are going to be the same oh, ones okay. around stage. So, that's yeah, good. but but I think there's there's certainly player types where it feels like they need to create the environment around them. You know, they have like the ruler with them. Yeah. And then yeah they... I mean, what was it? Was it, was it flash? flash. Who was the Histor- yeah. Historically, yeah. you know, in bird war, he pulls out that that was the, that was the kind of the, the meme back in the day, he would measure out exactly how far the distance was between him and the monitor and how tall the monitor was and where he sat in the table. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that players Jane do. I mean, too. I wouldn't doubt certain players in the Overwatch League. I mean, yeah. even kind of going to a more minuscule level, you know, certain players take off their shoes. Yeah. It makes them feel um, more at home, makes them feel comfortable. Elbow space. A lot of players talk yeah. about how much, how many inches they have left to right, you know, um, you know, because they, they're worried that they're cord or when they do like a big like arm motion that they just like, they like slap the guy next to them, basically. You know what I mean? If it's too mm. cramped, right? So. I do that on purpose. Usually. <laughs> 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 I, yeah. I look... I look for an extra long cord slack just so I can just so you can whip get the people. person over here a good old smack. <laughs> Imagine it's Yiska all the time. I don't. Why know always why. me? Why not Joe? <laughs> I can't. Joe's Joe's a teddy bear. Do you guys know. remember uh, the picture of DeFran's chair? It was like a chair, and then it had like a post-it note like DeFran on it. It was uh, it was basically a stage chair. We 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 got him a stage chair at Overwatch League where they took the armrests off. No, because what he does is after after basically every time he dies, okay, he like he puts his hands like down by his sides and he repositions himself in the chair, right? Mm-hmm. And like the armrests kind of get in the way from doing that. But it's like a mental tick for him. It's like, oh, I died. Yeah. Hang on, let me reset. Reset. You right. know. Yep. And yep. if he keeps bumping into the armrests, it like it tilts him. Mm. Right. So basically, basically we t- we had that's, we had to give a, a chair without wire, armrests. Man. <laughs> That's but that had to be a one. special yeah. request with I the league. It. Right now, imagine having to do that at a bunch of different homestands, yeah. nine different homestands. But I mean, it's like a regular, it's like a regular athlete with their with their shoes or baseball glove or whatever, sure. right? Like it's 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 funny. We can make jokes about it, but like I I totally get it. Mm-hmm. I yeah. yeah I I would hate that. <laughs> There's an amazing anecdote from like I think 2016 Overwatch. And it wasn't pro talk when it was actually good. And someone <laughs> and some some player just goes, Yeah, and then uh, you know, the mouse gates and like customizing your mouse. And one guy just goes, Oh yeah, I do a lot of customization on my mouse. Oh yeah. Yeah, I sandpaper the clicks 
so they're more smooth. Every time I get a new mouse, I sandpaper it. And that became like a huge, huge meme for a while. It's I'm just sell crazy to what extent people... You just gave me a business idea. Yeah. Or, or just like, you know, filing off a, a bit of the mouse so it's a couple mm -hmm. of grams lighter. It's just insane to what t type of customization players will go to i can't mm. remember what player it was but i think someone in overwatch league season one i can't remember the player now like they had like multiple mice or they'd like to use multiple mice for different heroes so like if they were like on genji they'd want to mm. use one mouse and if they were on soldier they'd want to use a different mouse but yeah it's what? Just, it gets out of control like some of the, some of the individual ticks that these guys have yeah yeah i bust oh. out my naga for my high advanced heroes and then i just use my yeah, I, I get it. I'm basically an Overwatch League player, is what I'm hearing. Okay. Yeah, just keep flexing the $200 mouse on it, dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 I got it. Right here. That's it. <laughs> That's actually why the show exists, usually. It's just to be able to, to flex that. Uh, so uh, I, I do want to transition a little bit, Brad, to uh, maybe we'll, we'll snag a time machine for a second. I mean, you, you've built, I've, I would say, some of the most uh, memorable and iconic uh, Western, semi-Western uh, competitive Overwatch rosters. Uh, you've, you're known for your scouting ability. That much is true. Uh, you've definitely demonstrated it here. Like a big part of what makes the rosters that surround you good is is it well or uh, perform well is your ability to scout them. Uh, can can you give us some just insight? I mean, I'm I, I'm not telling you to like you know sell us a secret sauce here, but like why do you think that? In Overwatch, you've been you've been coaching for a long time. You why you think over some other coaches, you've kind of demonstrated success consistently throughout your entire career. Um, why are you so good at your job? Do you want to take a seat on this couch? Just lay down. <laughs> this is a psychoanalysis part of the podcast. I, I guess I I think it's I think it's mostly probably just um basically not doing it all myself um like a willingness to collaborate with everybody uh that I'm surrounded by um you know so um if you were to ask your players, they'll have an opinion on who they think is good. If you were to ask your other coaches, they'll have an opinion on who they think is good. Um, learning to filter through all of that is very important, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, um, if you do successfully filter through everyone's feedback, you can get like a lot of insights that you don't get just by yourself, just like watching a VOD by yourself. You know what I mean? Like if you try to just take the burden on yourself alone, you'll miss a million things. You know, I, I could we could we could trial with a player. And, you know, for like two hours, we, we do a tryout, right? And then after the after the tryout, you know, we go talk to the players and like, just, it's like almost guaranteed that somebody will mention something that you didn't see, you know what I mean? And that the other coaching staff didn't see, like a player will say something that they noticed from their end, right? Or like some of their coach will mention something that they saw. Um, and so really it's about, it's a, it's a very collaborative process, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the success at, um shock and at atlanta isn't really due to me alone it's due to a collaborative process and so really it's it's a the success is a testament to everyone at both orgs i think more and as evidenced by the fact that after i left shock they continued to do very well at recruiting even 
newer talent, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think I can take all the credit, um, not by a long shot. And I think also... Um, 51%. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think also a willingness to... to um, to take a chance on younger players, you know, mm. um, back in selfless, you know, one of the first, you know, at the time that I was roster building in selfless, the conventional wisdom was don't get players off the ladder. You know, they are not built. They don't know how to play this game at like a high level as like a team at, at, a, at, a, at you know, like as at a competitive level, these guys have the no clue. You ask most of the players at the time, they they basically shit-talked ladder players like they were garbage. You know what I mean? And everyone's giving me advice on how to build the roster, and it's all like, yeah, get this guy. He just got released from this team. And get this guy. Like, you know, he's a free, you know, now. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking to myself, like, I don't want any of those shitters. You know what I mean? I, you know? <laughs> now I see where Dogman is. There's, there's very no nice. way that you're telling me that that guy's <laughs> the best that we can do. You know what I mean? Sure, so sure. it was it was more just like, okay, let's dive into like ladder stats and let's find people and let's like look on streams and like, let's mm. try to eye test as many people as we can. And, you know, like we do, we have found players basically looking at rank stats, believe it or not. Like, you know, like it's, it's mm. been a thing because it's such a large sample size, right? Like you've got like hundreds of games. Yeah. And so if this guy's numbers clock in a little bit higher, you know what I mean? On accuracy or whatever, it tells you a little bit of something. Now, maybe you get them into... Now, you don't use that as the reason to pick them up. You use sure. that as the reason to get them to a tryout. And then you pull them into the tryout, and you're like, oh, this guy just body shots tanks all the time. That's why his accuracy is so high. Okay, that explains I, I feel that. personally called out by that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, so, so you know, that explains that little piece of data, right? But, like, sure. then you pull, you bring him to the tryout, and it's like, oh, he's just hitting headshots and squishies, and he's just his aim is just insane. It's like, okay, this lettuce, you know... This led us to that, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. now we can make an even a better choice from there. So, um, but yeah, I think just a willingness to take a chance in young players like Sinatra, like Super, Erster, Popo, Doc. I mean, the list goes on. Never heard yeah. of him. <laughs> well, yeah. Gator's like yeah. 23. Yeah, Gator, Gator's not. Well, well, I mean, just sure. across the board. Yeah, across the board, you know, Generally just speaking. young players. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Players that might not have had the opportunities, young in their careers, and then building around them and, and setting up a, a system or a plan, which I, I think is very evident in your track record, looking at selfless and, and talking you talking about, you know, being a little bit more unconventional, maybe even trying different styles, even looking at some of your Overwatch League success. You know, I think Atlanta, maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, a little bit more on the creative side of things, you know, willing to try different things. I think in general, you've you've built a, a solid plan not only for the future of your rosters you know looking at sinatra and super gator and 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 the willingness to invest in your contenders team would you say that you know that would be a measure of your success is that something you're very cognizant of when you're when you're in the building phase of of teams and even even planning strategies is is it very systematic is it is it is it about the future is it about like a, a solid system kind of trusting the system almost i think it's 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 basically it's you look at the strength of their mechanics, okay, mm. and you look for like small signs of intelligence in the sure. plays that they make, and you know, or big signs, small sure. or big, right? Yeah. But you, but you, you look for all the little things, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, if their biggest flaw as a player is like, oh, they don't communicate enough, or oh, they don't talk enough, or like, oh, they're they're weak on this one little thing, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. at some point, you have to say, basically, it's about faith in in personal growth, 
I believe in a lot of these players that are like unpolished that like given enough practice and enough time and some maturity that they will grow into become insane players. You know, Dante at the start of season one on shock had a fairly limited hero pool, basically only good at flanking heroes. Mm. Didn't talk that much, was pretty quiet in the comps. And as the season went on, his comms increased by a factor of, I'd say, 250%. I think by the time he hit the offseason heading into season two, mm-hmm. he was at like three times where he originally started. You know what I mean? Like his comms sure. just went up so much, right? And he also made it a goal to like improve his hero pool. So he started just in his free time practicing all kinds of other heroes, right? Um, and he's not alone in that. Like a lot of players basically do this. A lot of players, like Sugar Free, used to not say a word. Now the guy communicates what's important, what's relevant, when it's relevant. He calls things out. You know what I mean? Like this is just like the growth that each one of these guys go through once they're on a team long enough. And sure. it's also the very important growth that happens when you're just scrimming on a regular basis, which is why going back to that B team thing, we think it's so important for our bench players to get basically regular scrim time heading into next season. So it's just we're gambling on young players, talented players, and not even just young players, also not young players who just haven't been given like a, a good enough shot like gator mm. was not exactly young but no. gator leveled up so much mm. on atlanta academy that you know like we think you know like whereas before we were looking at pokepo is basically like clearly better now we think gator's gone to like a very strong growth process here where like you know even though he's not like some 18 year old kid you know what i mean like he's 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 he basically still improved a shit ton and he has it in him to compete for the starting spot now, you know? So Great. Um, I think it's just a lot of, it just comes down to experience. If, if you think that the biggest thing this player is missing is experience, that's not like a deal breaker. Not at all. Mm. Give it to him. Yeah, for sure. I, so I do have, I do have a question because you, you had mentioned how important it was for the people around you and how the, it, it makes at least around scouting it's it's a very collaborative experience how about your new addition of mentalist from south korea like what what is he bringing to the table for the atlanta rain right now um well the he brings a lot of things um <laughs> we actually we, we we did not no we we got edison without like it's not like we signed Ed- Edison and Mentalist as a package deal. Okay. We signed Edison first. Okay. Okay. Um, and then you know, one of the things we didn't have on the Atlanta Rain last year was a Korean coach. Um, we had three Korean players, and we had a Korean translator who lived with us, mm-hmm. but we didn't we didn't have a Korean coach. Um, and it wasn't like a deal breaker. Like we still did very well, right? But um, you know when you go from one season to the next, you know, if you're lucky enough to not be having to do like a total rebuild, you know, and you just want to improve on the little things, right. Um, having a Korean coach that could basically communicate with our Korean players more often, more frequently and more fluidly, you know, we mm-hmm. think would be like a strength. Like if we have a coach's meeting early in the morning and we're for an hour and a half, we're kicking around ideas and thoughts and things like that. Right. Being able to have somebody basically, um, absorb all of that and then find moments later in the day to deliver some of it. You know what I mean? That are like just opportune as opposed to full stop. Can you translate this please? You know what I mean? Like it just, it's smoother, right? So that's Mm -hmm. what we're hoping for there. 
Um, Mentalist is a very hard worker, very smart person. Um, he's done a lot of work even remotely already. He's grinding hard on the English lessons. You know what I mean? He's doing all of that. And then, yes, on top of that, he has a strong relationship with Edison. And, um, you know, we wanted all of our Korean players to um, become more comfortable this season. But, of course, Edison is basically, you know, we have a very, like, established team already. Lots mm -hmm. of people already know each other. You know what I mean? Like, we've already done a lot of things together. Regardless of whether or not Edison's Korean or not, he's a new player. A new player coming into an environment that's already established. If we can bring someone with him that he's familiar with, that he has a relationship with it, that he can feel more at home with, that's a plus two. It's like a bonus at the end. It's not what we made our decision around, but it's like, you know, mentalist checked all of the other boxes and then this is like just gravy on top, you know. So mm. Yeah. That like uh Joe had had this concept for a long time and uh, we just coined it like the mother duckling effect where a lot of players seem to follow their coaches around and this seemingly intangible effect that you also talked about on sort of like in the um with the academy roster we just really know what the player is about right we, mm -hmm. we have all this talk in the scene uh, in the scene about nepotism and cronyism and whatnot but really like it feels like there's a the, most of why the reason why these people follow is just like there is predictability in what you can expect from these players and also where you where you could see improvements right mm. so like th this, uh, this this effect of it uh, often happening, and I don't know, Joe, if you kept count, but it it happened dozens of times this off season that you could trace certain um, certain moves back to the um, to a coach to that, a coach that has been signed or is in the future of signing. It does not always necessarily the reason why a player signed, but it's an interesting you know pattern that's that's popped up. I, I think. Um... I mean, you know, again, you learn things about players um, mm -hmm. as you coach them. You know, I knew Funny Asher was good just from like his stream and from his, you know, ladder performance and stuff, right? Like I knew he was good before we picked mm -hmm. him up. But only after I um, lent a hand um, coaching Atlanta Academy um, and then obviously went with them to the gauntlet and stuff. Only then did I realize really just how insane of a player he is, right? And how good of a teammate he is. And that's something that I wouldn't have gotten basically if he hadn't been on my team. And I attended like, you know, 10 plus scrims with him. Mm. And you just see his leadership like shine, you know? Um, and so I think Fusion has made an amazing pickup in Funny Astro. I think he will just, no matter what, no matter how good or bad, you know, the other players on that team perform, whether they regain former glory or whatever, just having funny Astro on the team, I think is going to be insane for them. Okay. But I only know that now from the benefit of basically having worked with funny Astro. Mm -hmm. And when you're out there building a roster, especially if you're building from scratch, there's so much uncertainty out there. Like, you know, Atlanta in season one, you know, we basically did tryouts in, in season two, our first season in season two, we did trials where we invited like a hundred players. And we did our best basically in those tryouts to basically record as many VODs as we could and see as much as we could. But even that only only told us so much, right? Mm -hmm. This past season, we didn't even do trials. 
because there was like this sort of arms race to basically go out there and sign the best talent. Like you're out there trying to schedule like a tryout and teams are already out there making offers. Right. right. So only like half the teams, not even half, I would, I think probably even less than half of the teams actually did tryouts this season. It's, it's probably around half. And the other half just were like, you know, we got to like move fast to sign this guy. Otherwise we're going to lose out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole process this offseason was a little wonky. There wasn't really like open trials for every single team. There was only open trials for basically the teams that were like rebuilding cheaply and things like that. Like it was mm-hmm. very much one of those types of off seasons. And I think that's bad for players, but that's basically what what was demanded. You know, like we we wouldn't have necessarily gotten Edison if we waited too long, you know, to mm-hmm. move on them. Um so yeah so you feel like kind of wrapping up do you think that that's more of like a case-by-case study on where and when you should be trialing players versus just immediately kind of like shooting from the hip and and you know taking a chance on somebody you think it's kind of you know based on the person based on where where your team's at i mean i think it speaks to the to the overall reason for having an academy team again Mm -hmm. getting to know these players ahead of time making your build you know building knowledge about the players that are out there basically throughout the entire season as best you can always asking for VODs, always looking to get info, you know what I mean? So that you're not just relying on like this one week window to make big decisions. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of want to have a big game plan going into the off season, which we did. (laughs) And I suppose like one of those suggestions, do you think it would be a good idea to just like tremendously or just like for, not tremendously, but a couple of weeks delay the signing window where everyone ju- can just start trialing and has some time to make decisions. And then it turns more into a, a more secure players market s- situation. Give me the combine, where- Yiska. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, mean, I had to just give me the, the combine that Nate and Anzer promised me. Yeah. But do you think like... Because the the signing window opened fairly quickly after the season, especially for teams that had gauntlets going on as well, right? So, do you think like just like opening it up later would have helped? So it's very difficult, and um, I do I do think that you know under a slightly different scenario, um, players could benefit more. Um, but there's a lot of logistical issues as well. Okay, so for example, right now we don't have completed visa paperwork for most of our players because Mm -hmm. the visa process is like ridiculous, you know? And, um, you know, the lawyers are not even trolling much. They have been working on it. They're continuing to work on it. You know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of hit or miss, you know, we have a contenders player, um, that is like basically on his like seventh month of waiting for a visa, you know, Jeez. Um, Overwatch League system is obviously a little bit more robust. Um, it a, has a lot more notoriety to it. So Overwatch League visas have, are easier, but there have mm-hmm. been issues in the past. We've all heard about them. Um, at the end of the day, if you wait too long to open up the signing window, once you sign a player, there's a question mark as to whether or not the visa will be ready in time for them to actually practice with mm-hmm. their team in, in the preseason, right? And then be ready to compete. So there's that to factor in. There's also the fact that like basically the teams that got eliminated from the season early and didn't have to do a postseason, that all of those guys get a head start on their process, right? Yep. Um, but the people that need to stay that are basically make a deep run and need to stay focused on the playoffs, got and then forget 
on top of that, the teams that go to the finals, which is what, like two weeks later, like those teams, like mm-hmm. those teams start their process so much later because they're just focused on winning. They're not focused yeah. on roster building in the postseason, you know? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of considerations there. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, something where you move up the the team option window. So that would be helpful in the sense of not only does the player get clarity on whether they're a free agent or not, but also the teams that are building their rosters have more definitive answer on who's available, right? Mm. Like if, if like a player like Enlayer, like, you know, if some team knew about Enlayer three weeks earlier, in that three week window, did they sign a hit scan player? You know what I mean? And now they mm-hmm. can't go back on their decision? Possibly. You know yeah. what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's very difficult. But then, on top of all of that, there was World Cup going on. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of players, a lot of EU players went home to practice with their World Cup teams. So, can they even mm-hmm. trial on North American servers successfully, you know what I mean, for some other mm-hmm. team if they're yeah. told about it? So it's just, a, like, the, the scheduling has to be very carefully thought out, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And the devil's in the details. But I do think we could. I do think the system could have been better. Yeah, this season. Yeah, yeah. I I think more so than probably at any other season, a lot of the decisions made preseason will have effect on the main season. Just like first and foremost, because of the visa situation, right? Where, <laughs> like, you probably can't fix holes as quickly and as seamlessly because it takes so long to get a, a visa going for all these places that you might theoretically end up with and then even worse for the teams that have to travel a lot and adopt across different continents even um i think a lot of seasons will be predetermined or for a lot of cases for some teams um now mm. would you agree right yeah yeah i mean um i you know we the lawyers are telling us, you know, um, that uh, that basically that this is a process that needs to be started on now, um, mm-hmm. just to be safe. You know, yeah. some things will be easier than others. Some teams will have it easier than others. But the problem is, is that everything about these visas is basically person to person, and there can always be snags in the system. And yeah. so, um, yeah, it's it's just a very difficult process. Um, unpredictable to a point and that's why i think um you know uh i don't know it's just uh you got to do the best you can with it but you got to do you have to absolutely do the best you can with it otherwise it's going to be even worse Mm -hmm. and it's definitely to an extent a gamble because like that i would say and that's my that has always been my impression is that they are just inherent talents in some players or not maybe not even inherent but very very hard to earn talents that when a meta just gets lucky for them they're just on right and if you have them then on the team then uh it's really good uh, to have those and you can just gamble into good meta situations arguably that's how season one was mostly decided um and the best you can do is just like prepare for as many scenarios as could potentially turn up. But I still think they are like the the large majority of scenarios are unpredictable. 
So mostly gambling. Gambling. I hope it's Genji meta. <laughs> I think we all just want the free carry from Mercer. <laughs> that would be fun to see. After seeing him uh, play in China, that would be that'd be a nice return to uh, to his hero pool. I'd say so. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. We're going to go ahead and end it here. That's a perfect place to end it. Erster's Genji is where we end all podcasts. It's actually the word of the day. You say Erster's Genji, we have to end the show no matter what. So, uh, Brad, first of all, thanks uh, so much for being here, man. It was, it was great. Very insightful. I see competitive Overwatch is already just like churning out the clips. So, uh, thanks for providing us for the <laughs> for yeah. competitive Overwatch content for the day. No problem. Appreciate it. Um, we, I, I do, I do want to ask you before we go. So, oh, I was muted. Oh, oh I was sorry. Muted. Yeah, sorry. yeah. No, no, yeah, no. no. Uh, thanks. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Thanks for having good. me. Good, good, good. Uh, before good you go, I do have one last question for you. It's a hard hitter. Uh, some people are saying Atlanta Rain, great Overwatch League 2020 team. Others are saying greatest Overwatch League 2020 team. I, I need to know where you fall on this one. Uh. We'll find out at, the, at your spawn door, I guess. Hey. All right, here we go. All right, we'll take it for what it is. Um, Brad, before we uh, get out of here, uh, shout outs. Where can people find you? Anything you want to say to those Atlanta Rain fans out there? Um, all that stuff. Let's get it all out there right now. Uh, I don't. I don't plug anything. I don't. I don't care. Um, okay. I Fair do enough. love the fans, and uh, excited to see you guys in Atlanta later this year, next year. No joke. I'm actually. There's a very good chance I'm going to be at an at a Atlanta homestand this year. So, I happen nice. to be down in Florida. My mom's like two and a half hours away, and I happen to be there the very week that one of the homestands are. So I'm like, you know, I might take my. Bring my mom with me to esports. <laughs> well, if you, if you want special treatment, I'm gonna have to see Atlanta swag. If you just hey. come, if you just come in a t-shirt, you're not getting the special treatment. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be real with you. I yeah, I kiss ass. Like I said, you told me not to buy the jersey. Well, but now, yeah, you know, but now you do. I now I have nope, to buy see, the Sethi jersey. So now I, need, I need to know what number. What number do I get for the Sethi jersey? Uh, I don't know. I don't care. You you gotta promise him though. Last time he bought a curry shot jersey, and that <laughs> held topical for about two months upon buying it. So if you can make it three months before starting to coach Soul or something, that would be swell. Why did you have Sounds to bring that up? It's a collector's item. My wife is clipping all this. So that when we go over our budget next month, she's going to be like, remember that jersey See, you bought? Uh, yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks a lot, Brad, for being here. Uh, huge. Like, uh, I don't I can't thank you enough. Um, great insights all around. Uh, Yiska, what about you, man? Like, shout outs for the week. Where can people find you? Um, go ahead. So I think I can talk about no, because it's on the website anyway. Uh, I found a new um, publication. Um First piece is going up tomorrow. Uh, it's called GG Intel. And yeah, I'm looking forward to write content for them, especially more regularly. Like this year, I'm definitely ha going to have some. And then next year, uh, hopefully more actively. Awesome. Uh, Joe, what about you? Shoutouts for the week. Where can people find you? 
Um, all on the socials at Volamel. That's V-O-L-A-M-E-L. Um, still working on the video for this week for alternate Overwatch history, but I think I have nailed down a topic. Um, it's going to be around Sinatra, somebody that Brad is very, very familiar with, and uh, maybe a, a different uh, scenario on where he might end up for season one of the Overwatch League. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see exactly what that looks like. Um, but yeah, doing some writing things, got some projects out there. Um, but yeah, stay tuned on the YouTube and on the uh, Twitter for all the, the writing stiffs. Awesome. Uh, as for me, you can find me everywhere at Kick Tripod, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, everywhere. Just type in Kick Tripod, you can find everything there, including the show, twitch.tv slash Kick Tripod, youtube.com slash Kick Tripod, or just search for Tactical Crouch anywhere you will find the show. No new patrons this week, and I apologize if I missed it. I've, I've been moving this last week, so there's some like weird... Uh, this with my normal like how do I make sure I'm up to date with things but we do have one new five star iTunes review from Great Britain oh wow the greatest of Britons uh, from Josh 3854 thank you so much for the five star review I appreciate it if you like the show and want to support go to t- uh, patreon.com slash tactical crouch great place to support we have lots of great tiers including a game night which uh, we're going to have to do very soon for December and then um, if you're like hey I'm watching on Twitch use your Twitch Prime sub whatever else right Mm. here great place to do it we've got our own um, patron subs which are patron uh, channels right where we most a lot of the questions that we got from today actually came from the patrons which is pretty cool so if you like the show and want to be a part of that and kind of get more one-on-one cover or not conversations but like more one-on-one time with the host and potentially with the guests. That's a great place to do that. Otherwise, that's it. That's all I got for you. Uh, thanks again, Joe Yiska, for being here. And of course, Brad, uh, for providing us with the insight and everything else. Uh, we'll see you guys next week, 11 a.m. Pacific time on Tuesday, twitch.tv slash kick tripod for episode 65. This has been episode 64. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye.